This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Less than 10 seconds now. The confetti is going. The balloons are up. Six, five, four, three. Happy 1998. Hello and welcome back to Over and Back. NBA 20 Years Ago series. I am Jason with me, Zoom Rich. Hey, Rich. What's going on? Oh, man, not too much. Just uh, going to be enjoying a little bit more back into the uh, look of uh, the NBA in uh, February and early March of uh, 1998. Some uh, interesting things uh, going on as uh, per usual. We got uh, trade deadline, we have the uh, All Star game, and we've got uh, some fascinating uh, Denver Nuggets awfulness to uh, talk about. So it's, it's going to be fun. <laughs> I turned I turned eleven at this time, a transformative oh, yeah. eleven. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably was just watching was, wrestling, uh, I'm sure, and basketball. Right. Like, and thankfully, yeah. I've changed a lot in the last. You know, now I'm 31, and I spend most of my time watching basketball and, and wrestling. So, but you sure, know, hey, <laughs> I have a house now, so that's cool. Yeah, you got a house. Yeah, I have a house and um, bills. So I basically just added miserable parts to my life. But uh, yeah, other parts are still kind of the same. I haven't changed at all but since I'm eleven. How? But you're smarter sad, but. about those things than you were than you were. You're right. You were eleven. So yes, and yeah. I'm, I'm making. I'm leveraging them into uh, fun money-making opportunities like this uh, multi-million dollar podcast that we do here. So, uh, yeah, Absolutely, yeah. We're, we're up there with Chapo in terms of the revenue we're producing. So, yeah, you know, le- leftist podcasts and uh, NBA history podcasts, it's the way yeah, to go. of course. You know, yeah, so... Um, yeah, so we're we're changing the format of this uh, slightly. Um, I, we've kind of dividing it up instead of uh, going through the events as they occur. We're kind of hitting some topics, and then toward the end, we'll, we'll be, it'll be a little bit more narrative. But we're going to try to uh, uh, organize a little bit differently. If uh, people enjoy that or don't enjoy that, please uh, let us know. You can always find us on uh, Twitter at Over and Back NBA or at uh, NBA Twenty Years Ago. Either way, we will uh, see it. And uh, we appreciate any uh, feedback that we get on this. So uh, we're going to start off looking at uh, a four spotlight players, like just uh, guys who did something interesting or, or did particularly well during the month. This uh, is just going to be the guys who did well in February, um, even though we're going to cover the events of uh, early March, which we'll, uh, you'll probably see why as we get through it. But uh, the first guy we're going to look at is uh, Tim Duncan, who in February uh, averaged uh, 25.7 points, 12.7 rebounds, 3.5 assists, and 3.2 blocks. Uh, the Spurs, after struggling a little bit 
uh, early on in the season. They um, they they picked it up and are one of the better teams of the uh, in the league at this time. We'll get into the specific record uh, later on toward the end of the show. Uh, but he was rookie of the month again, as he has been in every month so far. Uh, not really <laughs> much of a contest there. Um, one of the last guys, I, I forgot to look this up specifically, but he's one of the last guys to be an all-star as a, a rookie. Even LeBron uh, didn't uh, do that, so uh, obviously notable accomplishment. That was less rare early on in NBA history, although still like only you know maybe a dozen or so guys have uh, actually done it. But um, and one thing that I thought was really interesting um, was that uh, when when Sean Elliott went out, and this I, I believe was in uh, January. The uh, Spurs actually started uh, three seven footers in uh, on the on their front line. It was uh, Will Purdue at center, David Robinson at power forward, and Tim Duncan at small forward. Oh, officially, amazing! Uh, That's incredible. Yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, they um and they and they had a lot of success with that uh, lineup. They were uh, in the first seven games after where they had that. They were six and one. The trio averaged five point or fifty two points, thirty two point three rebounds, five point eight six blocks. Um, probably Will Purdue not producing the most of that, but uh, nevertheless, he did. Pretty well and they were uh, in, in mid-February they were um, uh, their opponents were shooting an NBA low 41 percent uh, they and the, the team the and actually that front line was was called the triple towers uh and uh and they had won uh, they had a really good home record 19 and 3 and uh and then tim his first player of the week uh honor came in the first week of uh, march uh so he just he, he produced very well you know not 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 a huge surprise of course you know we all, we all know that he had a great rookie season and was immediately had impact there but uh, you know um had already performed well during the month, but it, but or during the season, but in February really came on and really you know was getting better as the season went along. Unlike a lot of rookies who you know might start off well, but you know run into that rookie wall. Right, and and he's running away with this award as well. I mean, there's no, there's not really any. I mean, you have like Keith Van Horn who's having an okay year. I know uh, Zildjian Ogowskis in Cleveland's being, you know, he's fine and yeah, he's done well. But but yeah, Ron Mercer's okay. But it's like, dude, there's no, it's no question that Tim Duncan is the man. I mean, like he, he, I mean, he doesn't. I mean, he probably doesn't have a a, a true case, but like he, there's like a a, a groundswell of a potential MVP thing going on here. I mean, he's doing really well. I mean, it's incredible. He's doing. Of course, he's not going to win, and there's obviously going to be much better contenders. But yeah, I mean, for him, runaway rookie of the year and like yeah it was kind of cool to finally see him be the player of the month and rookie of the month i mean it's just incredible and, and he's just dominated you know every single week and every single month of the year and the cool thing is yeah you're starting to see the team emerge and it's like okay here we go we got we, we got something here and it's not like the spurs were, were bad for very long they were bad for one year or whatever but it you know seeing him fit in as well as he did and it's, it's pretty much a lot of, of what people expected out of tim duncan but there was still the reservations of okay let, let's see if he can do it and it, it was almost from day one and we talked about it a few weeks uh, or a few episodes ago on uh, in the series that almost from like day one and game one it was like oh okay this guy can go and and he really never stopped you know that really you know that year or in any point of his career because he retired is still being a pretty solid player as well so uh it's gonna be pretty fun about the tim duncan but yeah you can definitely see him just far and away running away um with the rookie of the year award i mean you got chauncey Phillips and tim thomas and all these guys but no i mean it's right. question that tim duncan's gonna be your guy yeah um and uh, speaking as pretty solid uh, late in their career, uh, Carl Malone uh, was NBA Player of the Month in uh, February. Uh, 26.6 uh, points, uh, 10.8 rebounds, uh, 4.0 assists, uh, and... Um uh, yeah, and he uh, went through some notable milestones this year. He passed Oscar Robertson for sixth place on the NBA's all-time scoring list. Also passed Adrian Dantley for fifth on the all-time free throws made list uh, in NBA history. Um, yeah, and, and actually, I think had a better month than even Jordan had. Jordan, we, we noted how much uh, you know Jordan really carried the Bulls uh, early on in that season. It had some really huge uh, scoring outbursts. Um, 
early on, you know, before Pippen uh, came along and when Rodman was rounding into form and, you know, when the Bulls were struggling a little bit more uh, without their depth, uh, the Bulls definitely came on track in January and February and, and are leading the um, Eastern Conference. But Jordan himself, the I mean, he's still, you know, he's, he's awesome. Still 25.5 points per game, uh, 5.8 rebounds, 3.5 assists, and, you know, 47% shooting. But, um, but but a little bit behind Malone, at least in this month. Overall in the MVP race, I would say Jordan probably still going to be ahead there. But um, but they're you know definitely really the two candidates who I think anyone is taking seriously in that MVP race. And you know Malone at least for a little bit looking um, like he's uh, at least ahead for the month. Uh, one funny thing that uh, Malone uh, talked about. It's more funny in retrospect, but uh, we'll add it here. Uh, Ostertag was Greg Ostertag was uh, injured for a while, and so Malone actually did play some center um, in uh, in games during the month. And then uh, he actually quoted, he said, "I want to play with a dominant center before I retire." And then he said that he considers only three or four centers dominant, which makes it unlikely to hook up with one in uh, Utah. Which, of course, what would happen later in uh, in Carl's career? Uh, a little bit ironic there. Yeah, going to LA, of course. But uh, yeah, and you're looking at the MVP votes and the MVP race. Really, I mean, we talked about some guys. You know, a few episodes ago, you know, a guy like Gary Payton had sort of made a, a little bit of a, a some movement there. Shaquille had a had a pretty decent you know career uh, or a uh, year going as well. But really, at this point, like it, it looks like it's Jordan. It looks like it's Malone as, as the two, and it's going to kind of be the battle between those two guys. And like you said, there, there's a justifiable justifiable case for Malone. Definitely, I mean, Jordan is to me probably still the favorite. But yeah, it's not like if if you said Carl Malone, I don't think that's a wild thing. But I don't know that any really anybody else could really make a super big case for for even being in the discussion again. Like you know, even we mentioned like a Tim Duncan, like. He almost has an arguable case to, to be in the mix just because there's not really anybody else super emerging other than your Jordan Malone. So those are definitely your two right now. But yeah, I guess there's, you know, your Peyton, your, your Shaquille O'Neal's, your, I guess, you know, like Tim Hardaway type is, is doing okay. But it's Jordan Malone pretty much are your one and two. Yeah, right. That's it. And a lot of the guys who are like normally dominant big men, you know, are falling off, um, including Kim Olajuwon, who um, yeah. uh, was out for a couple months. I returned early in... Um, in February, the Rockets were 14 and 18 without him. Uh, at age 35, only plays 47 games for the season. His um, he has 16.4 points per game, which is down from 23.2 the uh, previous season. 9.2 rebounds and a, um, a 531 true shooting percentage, all career lows. So he's you know showing signs of aging. It's uh, that there are no Rockets in the All Star game for the first time since 1991. And Akeem had been an All Star every other season of his career, even as a rookie. One of the few to make that claim, of course, and actually would never be an All Star again. Um, although he was third team All NBA in '99, there was no All Star game in '99, so he might have been an All Star had there been one. But uh, but yeah, it's it, it. The end is definitely nearing for him. Um, and the Rockets were six and eleven in January, which is their f- first their worst monthly record since 1990. Um, some in a positive note, he did become the uh, eighth player in NBA history to play a thousand or more games with the same team. The others at the time were John Havlicek with the Celtics, of course, Stockton and Malone, uh, Hal Greer with the National 76ers franchise, Robert Parrish with the Celtics, Freon Dujabar with the Lakers, Dolph Shays with the National 76ers, and Calvin Murphy with the uh, Rockets. So a uh, fun little club there. Uh, there have been a few players uh, added to it uh, since then. Uh, Kobe, of course, uh, Paul Pierce, probably uh, Tim Duncan. Uh, I'm sure there's a handful of others. Um, but yeah, a neat accomplishment there despite the uh, the downs of the uh, season. And uh, one more interesting thing on um, March 9th, uh, 
he or this was I think it was the seventh was the actual fight between Akeem Olajuwon and um, Antonio McDice of the uh, Suns. They uh, they got into a, a little bit of a scuffle during the game. Some punches were thrown. They were uh, ended up being suspended and fined um, for that uh, altercation. A couple of Rockets players were also uh, suspended for coming off the bench to uh, aid in that uh, situation. So uh, so Akeem, you know, maybe he's not the player that he once was, but he's certainly the fighter that he uh, <laughs> still, like still knock you down, so, Antonio. But no, it's 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 interesting. And again, like he's thirty five, so it's like you know you should, and we sort of take for granted when we talk about you know legends and stars or whatever, and then playing into their you know late late years or whatever. But like you know he's a thirty five year old big man, like he's he probably should be. But it's still sad nonetheless that it's kind of ending, and and you could see it sort of <clears throat> that it's probably not going to get any better. Like it's not like <clears throat> you know it was some temporary thing where all of a sudden you know he had just a down year, and it, 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 he definitely looks a step slower. He appears to be getting older, and it's like yeah, he's he's thirty five years old. He should be getting a little older. And guys have been playing you know a lot of basketball for a lot of years or whatever but uh still sad to see you know one of the legends as as you kind of see him falling and and kind of you know it's seeing sort of the end of the line for for one of the nba's greats uh here yeah right so um and last but not least uh nick anderson uh of the orlando magic he uh was uh he was player of the week at the uh, end of the month um averaging uh, 30.8 points and seven rebounds no, the narrative. You know, he missed those free throws, then he was done. Then he left the league. He couldn't do anything. It was just a mental case. He was done. That's the narrative, Absolutely. right? Well, He's gone. Yeah, right. No, not on this show, guys. Yeah, we destroy narratives. And, it, narrative. and it's kind of it's interesting because yeah, I mean, like he did. He played within his career norms pretty well in like the year after the because he obviously missed the four free throws in the '95 Finals in Game One. In '96, he played fine. '98, uh, this season, he's playing pretty well. You know, um, right, right, a, a little bit above his career averages, but, but, but playing fine. And it's weird because in '97, he did play poorly. He had like a um, 40% free throw rate or percentage rather compared to almost 70% the year before, and his his career average was around 65 or so. Um, so yeah, he he had one really weird outlier season in '97, but it wasn't like it was immediately after. It was like a, a year after, and then he went back in '98, and then you know, he he was battling some injuries as he was getting into his 30s. You know, obviously the decline that most guys have around that age. So it wasn't like he was ever you know really good after this year. But he was perfectly fine. He um yeah, it, I don't know what happened in '97 particularly that led to that decline. Maybe it was just more injuries, or maybe something weird happened. But yeah, and this was his third career player of the week award his first since 93 and helped really the magic maintain without penny hardaway who he he played a, a um a few more games but was really limited played very little in those games and then it was completely out for the rest of the season but yeah the magic had an eight game winning streak in late february and march to get back into the playoff picture and they were a team that did not have a whole lot of talent and they lost uh, daryl armstrong who had you know kind of come on and been, been a good guard they lost mark price i believe as well um they had actually bring spud webb back in from obscurity to help out so they were battling injuries battling depth but you know anderson was helping them really um you know, at least, uh, you know, stay in the picture of the playoff race. Yeah, no, no. Nick's doing doing well and and, and keeping Orlando going. Yeah, it's it, his career path is just so inexplicable. It's like you know, people kind of assume that you know after those the you know the NBA Finals in '95 that it was kind of like oh, and then, you know, he could never shoot free throws, but he was fine. And then like two seasons later, then he wasn't fine. And then the next season later, he was fine. So I don't know what the hell happened with the Anderson, but uh, yeah, like you said, there could have been some weird shoulder issue, some Markel Fultz esque injury thing, oddness going on. But whatever. I mean, he right. came back Who and now we're seeing yeah. we're seeing here player uh, of the week and, and and really keeping everything going and keeping you know the team and 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 you know really his career alive in some ways because that prior year everyone's like oh shit this might be the end of nick anderson no i'm i'm still good and of course we'd you know see in later years he he would be you know bad a little, <laughs> a little bit yeah but. i mean he would fall off he would fall off but but it's you know like 
understandable reasons that he fell off. Not it wasn't just like immediately. Like, yeah, he well, like in his early pretty 30s, good years. And, like guys yeah. don't. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you you do fall off after you know playing in the league for 15 years or whatever it was. So no, but it wasn't like yeah, it wasn't like day one after the NBA Finals. He was just like, ah, oh, I'm a terrible player now. So that's always kind of funny, but to see that sort of narrative. But yeah, I mean, it's it's cool to see the, the Magic sort of staying above water without Penny and and obviously of course many years without Shaq or whatever. So you're kind of seeing a little bit of of, of the, the the team and and that's kind of one thing that Orlando was always able to weather a little bit and it, that's kind of a weird franchise as well and I think one of these days we'll, we'll probably do a, a, like a long form thing about them of of you know they always seem to be able to get you know the next guy was always sort of there I mean of course until you know recent history or whatever but you know you have Shaq come in then Penny comes in Shaq leaves you know Penny's the guy for a little bit Nick sort of holds the water for a little bit and then Tracy McGrady obviously comes uh the, a few years after and again like they weren't yeah, on the Grant Hill, team at any point know. but yeah. you know and then the, you have your, your you know a few bad years and then Dwight Howard's there and then you have your uptick or whatever and it wasn't really until recent history that they've been kind of like a bad or you know historically bad team but until that point they were always a team that was okay you know other than a few little you know outlier years here and there yeah right yeah they've never had until now this is by far their longest sustained stretch of you know of being bad um you know even they relatively they became a relatively good team quickly after the you know two or three years of being you know bad expansion team so um yeah it's interesting how their history has played out that way but now they so, have like uh, Alfred Payton. <laughs> and like, yeah. I mean, obviously he's but not no, there well, anymore. Not anymore. Yeah, no, they traded him. Like, he's on the Suns now. So, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. He yes. did not so. replace Dwight Howard, unfortunately. No, he did not replace Dwight. It didn't, didn't work out so well. So, oh, oh uh, someday I'm sure they'll, they'll, they'll get their man, you know. Perhaps Jonathan Isaac. Maybe he'll be, maybe <laughs> right. he'll be really good. I don't know. Yeah. Given how this year's going, I don't think so, Jason. Yeah. Well, you know. Um... Yes. So moving on to uh, we're going to look at a few uh, spotlight teams who were notable for whatever reason in uh, during this uh, period of time. And uh, we start off with the Indiana Pacers. Uh, They were um, eight and five over the month of February. Actually had a had a better um, January, but they were at this point challenging the Bulls and Heat for uh, top of the league. Even though they didn't really have I mean, they obviously had Reggie Miller, but they didn't necessarily have like a, 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 you know, elite star who was you know really carrying them uh you know they were just a really well-balanced team you know they'd added chris mullen you know they had dale davis and antonio davis and rick smiths and guys like that mark jackson was regards so they had a lot of solid players and and, and reggie certainly you know, he's, he's an all-time great to an extent but not quite the same you know didn't quite have the same like he was more steady and going to carry you um you know, like in uh, big situations, but he wasn't necessarily going to be like the, you know, the, the single guy who was going to like create everything for, for you and, you know, really put you over the top. But I, I think honestly, like the real star of the team was Larry Bird, uh, who was, it was his first year as coach, got a lot of attention for the um, Pacers who didn't necessarily always get, you know, attention at least during the regular season. Um and uh, in this month, there's, there's some colorful things that he uh, did and some accomplishments that he had. Um, there's a, a, he uh, was he talked to this is the Indianapolis Star. Um, he answered questions for a, an MTV crew. And afterward, he said, I don't like MTV. Our league is going MTV and that's what's wrong with it. So uh, <laughs> Larry being curmudgeonly there. Um, it's also like, very, what is it, nineteen like eighty six? Like our league is going MTV. Oh god damn! Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if yeah. in nineteen ninety eight, but whatever. Hey, knock yourself out. I, I, I don't remember. know. MTV yeah, was pretty gaudy in nineteen ninety eight, so maybe I don't know. Too much Bill yeah, Bellamy or something. Yeah, maybe he just wasn't a big TRL <laughs> fan. I don't know, but uh, he maybe he maybe he didn't like the boy bands. I don't. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, what, he likes uh, corn. Like, he wanted I, corn to beat the boy bands on TRL, and they never did. So you sure, play. yeah, absolutely. I could I could see uh, Larry being a big corn fan. You know. <laughs> He likes corn. I'm sure he loves corn. So, right, know, yeah. Corn, the food, and, and growing yeah. corn. So, I don't know why he wouldn't he, like the band corn. So, he's a new metal guy. I probably so. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so and this is uh, – I'd forgotten to include this earlier, so I'm, I'm going to throw it in now. This is from actually early on in the season. This is uh, Jackie McMullen um, uh, from a, a piece, I think, in the season preview on NBA feuds and mentioned that Larry Bird versus the Boston Celtics. And, uh, of course, this was – you know, Larry was new as the coach. Uh, and he was a member of the Celtics front office for five years, ostensibly after he retired before he went to the Pacers, but was uh, – you know, felt like ownership and management ignored his suggestions on trades, hiring, and draft picks. So, um, you know, he went elsewhere. And then uh, he openly blasted uh, D. Brown, who was his, in Boston and his former teammate, saying that he would get hurt and he wasn't worth a $3.5 million salary. And uh, Red Arbuck was, uh, was mad about that. And, you know, the rest of the, uh, you know, um, uh, Repetino, all, all those guys were not thrilled about that. So interesting shade being thrown uh, at Larry there. You don't hear a whole lot about kind of the, the post, like after he left the Celtics and him throwing shade on, on the team. And uh, so a little bit of that's uh, notable here. Yeah, it's like, dude, let the man get his money. Like, okay, it's not your problem. <laughs> like, dude, yeah, I don't know. Maybe just didn't like playing with D. Brown. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like a random guy to throw up. Maybe they just didn't get along when they played. I don't know. Too much MTV for D. Brown. But yeah, no, it's, it's interesting to look at right. the Pacers. And they were definitely a, a great defensive team. And I think one of the things, that, and you sort of mentioned it, was depth. I mean, they get, they were like eight deep of like all solid players. You have Miller, Smiths, Mullen, Davis, Rose, Mark Jackson, like Dale Davis. So like you're talking, there's a solid like 10 guys that could just go, but nobody, like you said, not one star, not really one emerging guy other than Reggie. But I, he's really on kind of, whenever we talk about Reggie, and I think at this point, especially in his career, he's not like, like you said, the killer that like, okay, look, we got Reggie, like we're good to go. We're going to win X amount of games. He's a great, you know, he's going to score you 20 points or whatever, but it's not like he's your, like, we're talking about Malone and Jordan and those like Shaq or whatever, those dudes that are just going to like they're on your team you're going to win you know the more of your games a Reggie Miller wasn't that quite type of player at that point in his career or whatever really right. I don't know if he ever quite was but he was a great asset for that team because he was he was good at being the best guy on a really deep team as well so that that was definitely their, their big benefit there I mean it really is interesting to see how deep that that team went Right. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, Ben Taylor's done his great, um, you know, greatest of all time series mm-hmm. at uh, Backpicks. And, and he, you know, brought some things about Reggie that I think are interesting. And we, are, we knew that, you know, he was one of the first, you know, um, heavy point scoring guards to really use the three pointer as a weapon and how much that kind of meant. And, and so, it, it, like, in one sense, he wasn't like the, you know, you compare him to like Mitch Richmond. Like, Mitch Richmond was like a guy who was like more traditional guard skills of the 90s where he's going to, you know, going to, you know, beat you off the dribble, stuff like that. Like Reggie didn't necessarily have those skills, but his effectiveness scoring threes, even though his point totals weren't always like gaudy compared to a lot of the other guards in the league, he his effectiveness benefited the team from that way. So like, yeah, he, he could carry you like in a certain way, but he didn't carry you like in the traditional way where it was going to be like, you know, go out there, you know, try to beat somebody off the dribble and, you know, make that last basket is more right, coming right, off right. the screen, getting the three. And obviously, you know, he, he has a litany of great playoff moments. So we know that he, you know, would step up in the, um, in the big time and in the playoffs, he did tend to play better. So you know he, he had he had that going for him. But uh, it was just a, a different way of you know being great than you know was kind of traditional, especially at the time. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, so next we have the uh, the Lakers, who uh, after the All Star break struggled a little bit, and th- there's a little bit of smoke at this point in the Shaq and Kobe relationship. Um, there were you know. Uh, you know, a little bit some rumors of Shaq being jealous of things like jersey sales and accusing Kobe of playing basketball of selfish basketball like in 97 and 98 Kobe gets his first all-star appearance here um you know is it, sort of getting his first taste of real stardom uh, going on at this point uh, even though he was only a six man for the Lakers Although there was nothing like super public about it, it was more just you know in retrospect, you know stuff that was that's been written later that you know said like okay yeah there was a little bit going on here um, 
as Kobe started, you know, to ascend to some stardom. And, um, yeah, and, and the Lakers did struggle after the All-Star break. They lost 7 of 12. Uh, Kobe had a stretch where he only made 30 of 100 shots. Um, Shaq, uh, you know, didn't really want to wait for Kobe to mature as a player. And Del Harris specifically thought that NBA and NBC were overexposing Kobe and that he became more of a one-on-one player after the break. And, and you you did dug into a little bit more as well. Yeah, there was a Rolling Stone article at the time, you know, sort of not necessarily alluding to the, the feud between them more. It was kind of a personality piece about Kobe Bryant and, and more about like, hey, here's this emerging star in the NBA. But some of the quotes kind of allude to like, eh, you know, there's some some things that, uh, you know, Dell and, and Shaq aren't in, in, totally in love with. And of course, it was before the All-Star break, you know, Bryant was shooting 45% and averaging about 18 points a game afterwards. It dropped to, uh, <coughs> sorry, 34% and 14 points. Um but, you know, and there's a quote from, from Kobe saying it's, you know, it's important to tone it down somewhat and stay within the team concept, but I'm aggressive. It's also important not to lose the aggressiveness. And then uh, Del Harris says, you know, everybody is pushing too quickly and too much. He has so many forces pulling at him. He's a conglomerate already. So that's an interesting thing there. Uh, I think I forgot what um, Co- uh, Shaq had a name for him at this time, and I, I forgot to copy it down, but I forget what it was. But it was, was something it, was like Showboat. Yeah, that was uh, that I, was I it. Think, yeah, he's like, hey, that's yeah. that there's Showboat. And it's like one of those things that, you know, at the time you're probably like, ah, that's a fun. But knowing in retrospect what he was actually thinking at the time and knowing what we know like you see the showboat thing and you, you're like oh that's playful and it's like eh, you know it, yeah like to an extent it is but it's also Shaq being like because there's quotes where he's like ah yeah go talk to showboat he'll tell you or yeah oh yeah well ask yeah, showboat or whatever and you're like oh okay that's kind of playful you know joking around between the teammates but it it, it really wasn't so um yeah, and then uh, it said here in that, that article that Harris keeps track of stats of how often a player shoots the ball per, per minute played. O'Neal is number one in the league, Michael Jordan is second, and Bryant is third. No matter how you do the math, O'Neal and Bryant can't share that many minutes unless Bryant passes the ball. So this was in that Rolling Stone piece, which is meant to be sort of a, 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 a sort of a reflection, a positive reflection of Kobe. But you see some of these things in here, and you see how it's kind of simmering a little bit here. And uh, here's Del Harris says it causes a rift between us because I'm trying to get him to give up the ball, and he feels that it, it, that his game is to take on the world. So Kobe wants to take on the world. Del Harris is trying to tell him to pass the ball a little bit. Shaq sort of alluding to it <laughs> to an extent. So, uh, yeah, it didn't, uh, didn't go well. And, of course, you mentioned the All-Star game, and that was a huge thing as well. He uh, doesn't play in the fourth quarter of the All-Star game. Uh, so this is the first All-Star game very early uh, in his career to be already in the All-Star game, you know, as you said, as a six-man or whatever. But um, it, it was in Detroit, and it was written that, you know, Gary Payton, David Robinson, and Carl Malone were all, quote, completely fed up with Bryant's selfishness and total ris- disregard for winning the game and executed the freeze-out. So... Kobe got frozen out of the All-Star game because they thought he was doing a lot of one-on-one trying to really be the guy. And and, and to be fair, they were sort of the NBA was uh, promoting him a lot because the NBA was was really getting ready for, you know, post-Jordan era and and trying to build up new stars. And Kobe was one of the guys that they, you know, correctly pegged as, hey, this guy could be, the you know, the guy. But it was a little too much too early for some of his teammates and his coaches and other guys around the league. Yes. Uh, a note there, uh, the um, All-Star game was in New York. I don't know why it says in Detroit here, but the, the oh, note sorry, was from sorry. the Detroit News. No, no, you, not not your fault. Uh, the, it, was, it was written wrong by me, but I wanted to uh, to clarify that. Um, and yeah, there's another quote from Del Harris, uh, who, uh, this is from the APA, I believe. Uh, he, he said, I expected Kobe to do well in the All-Star game, and he did. But on our team, he fulfills an important role coming off the bench to provide a spark. It's also good for him to, to that the opponent doesn't know if he's coming in at forward regard and can't set his defense for him. So, he kind of showed some flexibility uh, doing that. So interesting uh, level, interesting look at kind of the early dynamics of Kobe and Shaq and Kobe, particularly on this Lakers team who, you know, had a lot of talent, had been, um, you know, had actually done pretty well in, you know, Shaq was out for about a month and they, you know, right, they were fine there. They were you know, at the top of the league. They had got off to a really great start and they're still, you know, um, we'll look at the standings a little bit later, but they're still, you know, very, very close to being at the top, but definitely, um, you know, fell off a little bit here. 
Yeah, certainly. And, and yeah, looking at uh, another team uh, that had not had mu- much success in the league. In fact, this is their first season with a winning record, the Minnesota Timberwolves. And uh, Kevin Garnett and Stefan Marbury really establishing themselves as uh, two top guys in the NBA. Uh, Garnett with 18.5 points per game, 9.6 rebounds, selected for the uh, All-Star game for the uh, second year. This was his third year in the league. He's uh, 21 years old, I believe, uh, 2021. And uh, and Marbury's up there, too. He's really, um, you know, playing really well. 17.7 points per game, 8.6 assists. And uh, the the one sour note during this month is that kind of kind of the third star, uh, Tom Gugliotta, who was also playing really well and was actually the leading scorer, uh, 21.1 points per game, um, had season-ending ankle surgery. And, um, and this was also at a point where he could opt out of his contract and become a free agent. Um, he had two years left on a five-year, twenty-seven million dollar deal, but you know could could obviously opt out and get bigger money elsewhere. With the lockout looming, there's a lot of uncertainty there. But you know they, that's a pretty good core three that they had, and uh, unfortunately, we'll we'll get too much later. Uh, things didn't really work out there, but definitely had a um, you know the, this is their the, the really the first sign of like hey this could be potentially a good team uh, down the road, and uh, and, and you know. Things are, for the most part, looking pretty good at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and Google out of there's some contention as well because this is you know the final year of it. Uh, he, so he's got a deal that he's got two years remaining on a five year uh, deal, but he can opt out of his contract this summer to become a free agent. So obviously you know the ankle injury comes at, at a really terrible time um, for him and, and and for the team as well, who's really kind of emerging. But you, you really look at it and, and and the team. I don't know that necessarily. I mean, obviously having Gugliotta would, would would be awesome, but it's with Garnett and Marbury. You're looking at hey, they, they might not even need Gugliotta, and if he moves on, you know that might be okay because we can just go to Kevin Garnett, and that's cool to see Garnett really emerging as well and really becoming you know a, a, a star into his own his own right because as you know obviously one of the few or you know with Kobe coming out of high school and, and Garnett coming out of high school there was still the worries about okay what are these guys going to do in the league and and Garnett wasn't you know immediately great and and it was there were questions about you know what would what, he be able to do and would he be able to transfer and obviously at this point we're seeing at 2021 he's he's, he's coming and he's you know it's not going to stop so it's cool to see that but uh, uh interesting note here as well on February 18th the Minnesota Timberwolves traded away the last original player from their 1989 inaugural season as Doug West got traded to the Grizzlies. Uh, but Doug did not take this very well. He was peeved, especially since he was allegedly told by the Wolves that he would not be traded. Uh, not only did they renege on that, they traded him to a losing franchise. And according to HoopsHype.com, uh, upon hearing of this trade, uh, West drank 17 Heinekens and went into rehab, which is not totally a joke or an exaggeration because he did actually go to rehab around this time. I don't know about the Heinekens. I have no idea. And obviously it was probably an issue that was happening much before this. But yeah, he actually did check into rehab uh, briefly. And then he would eventually report to the Grizzlies and actually become a pretty good player on that team. Definitely like a veteran leader uh Doug West is never a guy that was like great on any level or whatever he's fine for for a number of years but yeah it was kind of interesting to see him take on the role of you know he initially didn't want to go to the Vancouver initially didn't want to do that but then ended up you know kind of I think enjoying his time there a little bit and becoming a good veteran for, for that franchise yeah, and you know, some of the other notable guys who were on the Wolves at uh, this time, of course, Sam, Sam Mitchell, uh, Mr. Timberwolf, uh, Terry Porter, toward the end of his career, uh, you know, was performing well. Um, you know, they they had a they had a number of uh, interesting guys going on there, so you know, having some success there. Yeah, I, I, I wish wonder Sam didn't if go Google to Indiana. Did. I forget that he had that little brief because I'm looking at his thing. Because I was like, what about Sam Mitchell? He was on the original team, but he went to Indiana for a few years because he would have been yeah. awesome. He and started then, in '89 and, right. and then ended in '02, so he would have had a really good run. Stupid Indiana, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and um, 
Yeah, it would have been. I don't know how well Gugliata would have fit in with Garnett and Marbury because I, I don't know if there's some overlap between Gugliata and uh, Garnett. Gugliata was also 28, so he was he was on an older. I thought he was a bit younger at this point, so he was on you know obviously not quite on the same timeline as Garnett, who was 21, Marbury who was 20. So um, you know, like that that might have been good for the next couple of years, but long term, obviously, you know that that wasn't going to totally fit real well, but. Um, but yeah, they certainly, you know, some some better, some more exciting things are going on for the Timberwolves, at least for this season. Yeah, they, they didn't start off that great, but they really, you know, did, were picking it up and were, you know, were, were obviously playing um, real well. Uh, and the final Cherokee Parks, at, by the way, you forgot to mention Cherokee Parks, but that's all right. I did forget to mention Cherokee Parks. Yes, I, <laughs> how, how could I forget to mention Cherokee Parks? I don't know. So, um, and uh, yes, Anthony Peeler as well. So I, you know, Anthony Peeler was there as well. So, so good times. Um <laughs> And the next team, the New Jersey Nets, uh, were in year two of the uh, John Calipari era, and they're uh, in the playoff hunt after a 26-win season the uh, year before, and definitely you know a, a pretty uh, overhauled uh, roster as well. Uh, they have Keith Van Horn as a rookie who was out for first month and a half or so, but is playing pretty well for the season. He'd end up averaging 19.7 points per game, 6.6 rebounds on uh, five sixteen true shooting percentage, which isn't great, but for you know rookie kind of asked to take a big role on the team. That's that's not that's not terrible. Uh, Jason Williams was absolutely a rebound machine. Had a lot of twenty rebound games and would end up averaging uh, twelve point nine points per game, thirteen point six rebounds per game. And there's a lot of talent there. Um, Sam Cassell, of course, who had come over there before in a trade and. Um, uh, Kerry Kittles, Kendall Gill, Sherman Douglas, uh, Chris Gatling, who had dealt with a facial paralysis issue the year before and was, you know, was performing pretty well um, this year for the uh, for the most part. So was contributing to the team and uh, they would actually end up in this month trading for Ronnie Cycli, which we're going to get into in a little bit. because that unfortunately did not work out for the uh, Nets, but definitely uh, an interesting team there. Cassell, you know, playing extremely well, 19.6 points per game, eight assists per game. Um and uh, yeah, things are things are looking up. It looks like they're uh, you know, the John Calpari era is going to really work out. Yeah, for this the, Cal uh, thing's going to work. The Nets are, are yeah. going to Cal's stand. The Nets are stand. I mean, this is a team for the future right here. I'm liking everything that's going on here. So yes, uh, so it is notable. A couple things about Calpari. One is that he uh, was under investigation at this point for some uh, alleged improprieties that w- went on when he was uh, coaching at uh, Massachusetts. Uh, I'm sure nothing will come of that. Hmm. I'm sure there's, there's no. no problem there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sure he's done nothing wrong. Yeah, right. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, and then during a, a loss to the Heat, he showered a profanity at the fan a, at a fan, which ended up resulting in uh, a, a I believe a fine from the league. Uh, during the game, he turned to a heckler who and shouted, "You shut your mouth, shut the expletive up." So um, and apparently, and he later said, "In the emotion of the moment, I said something I shouldn't have said." So very uh, bad, bad John Calipari cursing at fans. Yeah, and that was his home uh, crowd too, right? <laughs> so, so presumably it was a Nets fan that was. Uh, was heckling. Uh, yes, it was. It was an well. Spanish back. So they they do exist at the, they existed at the time. So and they do exist. I'm sure still. You know, there's a, there's got to be one. I don't know who. I've never yeah. met one, but I'm sure there's one. Right. Yes. So uh, and now we're going to look at the four most interesting games of the uh, month. This, of course, is very subjective. Subjective. So if we, if we forgot your game, then we very much apologize. <laughs> but. Uh, the first choice here is uh, from uh, February 4th. The uh, Jazz uh, 
overcoming a 24-point deficit to the Bulls and uh, beating the Bulls at home. They actually swept the season series uh, two games to zero. Of course, this was the rematch from the 97 finals, and uh, as was gone in during the game, everyone it could possibly be uh, Jordan's final game in Salt Lake City. Of course, everyone <laughs> hoping that uh, it, Jazz fans hoping that they would uh, you know make the finals and presumably would meet Jordan in the finals again. Um, and Jordan did fine. He scored 40 points, although did tire a little bit down the stretch, although he had 11 points in the fourth quarter. But uh, the Jazz comeback was sparked by who else? Chris Morris, of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, would, uh, yeah. Everybody knows yeah. that. Everybody remembers the Chris, the Chris Morris game, of course, is this one that sure. you're talking about. Yeah. Yes, Chris Morris. He uh, was able to uh, pick things up in the uh, second uh, quarter. And then uh, Stockton, Malone, Jeff Hornacek, and Byron Russell picked it, things up in the second half. Uh, Malone, particularly in the third quarter, had 12 points on 6-7 from the field. Uh, for the game, Malone finished with 30 points and 8 rebounds. Stockton had 17 points and 18 assists, so a good game for them. Uh, Pippen went out early with a, a sore hamstring, so um, there and uh, Kukoc and Steve Kerr were already out of the game, so obviously the Bulls were a bit shorthanded for this uh, effort, but uh, still, you know, pretty impressive win for the uh, Jazz there. Yeah, definitely, and uh, yeah, you're reading that uh, the quote there, it's pretty funny from the Desert News, if, if, it, was fi- if it was MJ's final bow in uh, Salt Lake City, he gave the fans their money's worth. Well, whoops, it would, uh, you'd have, I think, a few more in there, including one yes. that, you know, <laughs> but they're very happy right now. Hey, it's Michael Jordan, the last game in Salt Lake City, yeah. yay! I'm sure they right. were less happy, yes. you know, a few months later, but... It was it was a, a little sadness there, but uh, our next is uh, of course the Tracy Murray uh, fifty point game uh, <laughs> with the uh, in uh, one of the more random fifty point game uh, performers there. Uh, during that game, uh, Rod Strickland also had twenty assists during the game, and it was notable because uh, Strickland. And Marie had you know, infamously gotten into a fight at a hotel just a few months before yep. this. We talked yeah, we about, talked that about that on a previous episode. And uh, Bolts Forever is a nice post on the game and you know notes that if you watch the highlight of Murray's performance that game, you just see how much of a role Strickland really does in um, in making it work. He um, uh, he actually sets up Murray on all thirteen of the shots that he made in the uh, or thirteen of the games that shots that he made out of eighteen. Um, and uh, Murray attempted 29 shots, made 18 of them, and um, it was 50, 10 points more than he had ever scored in his uh, career. He also had zero assists in the game. But um, <laughs> Strickland himself, he had 21 points, 20 assists, and 12 rebounds. That's a great game. One, <laughs> That's an yeah, awesome game. Only, yeah, yeah, yeah. Only one of four players since 83 to have a triple-double with 20 points and 20 assists, at least at the uh, time. I don't believe it's been done since then that I can recall. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I, he absolutely he, – and he set up 27 of the team's 37 field goals and uh, 13 of the team's 26 free th- throw attempts. So, uh, yeah, Strickland obviously doing a lot to make that work. It was against the lowly Warriors, so uh, yeah. who, um, <laughs> of course, were, were not good that season. So uh, lo- some caveats there. But, hey, 50 points, 50 points, and, you know, a 2020 game is a 2020 game. So Yeah, no, it's definitely an, an, another fun staff in the Bolts for everything, too, is that only three of the team's assists that night came from someone other than Rod Strickland. So that's like, you know, the impact that he has on that is incredible, too. But yeah, just a very random one, the Tracy Murray 50-point game. And, and he goes in the pantheon of, of, of random. He joins the Tony Delks in the, of the world. Oh, yeah. And eventually, in about 15 years, the Brandon Jennings of the world is like sure. weird. You know, right now, it's still kind of like, ah, Brandon Jennings is fine. But yeah, in like 10 years, we'll yeah. definitely be mentioning uh, him. I, as- yeah, I don't I don't think Brandon Jennings is quite as random as some of the other ones. But um, yeah, the, the Corey Brewers... Uh, 
uh, the uh, Andre Miller's. Oh, the recent Corey uh, Brewer. I forget about that one. It wasn't yeah. like peak Corey Brewer. It was like post peak, you know, quote peak Corey Brewer just randomly dropping 50 for no reason. That's an incredible one. This yeah. Tracy Murray one is definitely in the Pantheon, though. I, I forget about this uh, one a lot. Absolutely. We'll we'll have to uh, we'll, a good feature show idea is looking at the most random fifty point <laughs> right. uh, games, you know, deciding which one is the most unlikely. So we'll have to we'll have to add that to the list. Um, and then um, Shaquille O'Neal returning to Orlando finally on um, on February twenty second. He was he had been injured the year before, so uh, when when they the Lakers had gone to Orlando, so he had been booed you know significantly during that time, and. Um, the uh, the Magic actually won the game, uh, 96-94. Uh, Nick Anderson had a three-pointer with uh, 7.1 seconds remaining. Uh, Shaq had a good enough game, 20 points, 10 rebounds, but um, the uh, but the Magic pulled it out. And um, there's uh, some, some notes during the game. Uh, during player introductions, Shaq was seen and heard saying, shut the F up to the crowd more than once as they boot his introduction. Uh, before tip-off, the uh, Magic uh, played portions of the uh, following songs: uh, "I'm a Loser" by um, <laughs> by the Beatles, uh, and Carla Simon's "You're So Vain," and then Steve the M- Steve Miller Band. Of course, you know we all know how I feel about the Steve Miller Band. Uh, "Take the Money and Run," and uh, and "Would I Lie to You" by the Eurythmics. So the uh, <laughs> uh, Magic uh, game ops uh, being a little petty there. Um, and uh, and then afterward, uh, some quotes from uh, Shaq. Uh, Am I going to go home and drink a whole bottle of Pine Saw? Uh, no, we've got we've just got to move on. They did what they were supposed to do to win a home game, and then uh, then he says that every arena I go to, I get booed. And then a reporter at, said, "Well, this is the arena you used to get cheered." And Shaq said, "Used to, used to. I used to drive a Porsche, but I don't anymore. I've moved on." <laughs> so. And then Nick Anderson, um, he said that uh, his quote was, let him make his little comments about whatever he wants to. As a team, this is a good victory. I'm more happy for the fans than anything. They've been waiting for this game to come. So it's definitely some uh, – apparently Nick Anderson and Shaq did not really get along during their uh, time there. So um, – so for yeah. whatever that is worth. Yeah, and there's a there's an, uh, a Shaquille O'Neal quote too, like before he signed with the Lakers, and he called Orlando a dried up little pond, which is ah, not great. <laughs> even though I think he still lives there, like to this day. But you know, right? Not yes. not, not great. But uh, yeah, that's a yeah. uh, <laughs> you know emotions, a lot of emotions flying at that time. And yeah, if you go into that's the actual emotions, yeah. nuts and bolts of of the contract negotiations and all that sort of stuff, it wasn't like you know. I don't know. It's it's a, a, a show for another, you know, a, a debate for another day. But yeah, it's not like Shaq just you know was completely you know, one sided thing where he just totally you know, dogged the entire franchise. It was you know they played a little part in that as well. But yeah, the game ops uh, definitely took the opportunity to uh, really drive the hammer in there and really just stick the knife in and, and, and turn it. But uh, I think uh, Shaq would get the last laugh many 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 times over. So yes, yes, and. Uh... And then the for the first time in NBA history, a uh, a team doubled the opponent's score. The Pacers uh, defeated the Blazers one twenty four to fifty nine, which at the time was the second largest margin of victory in NBA history. Uh, only the, the only uh, one that was worse was when the um, Cavs beat the Heat one forty eight to uh, eighty in nineteen ninety one, and. Uh, Previously, the closest that a team had come doubling its opponent's point total was 1951, which was before the the uh, shot clock. Of course, uh, the Lakers had beaten the Hawks uh, nine, 99 to 51, and uh, the Blazers barely surpassed the NBA record low of 57 points. That's of course is the shot clock record low, because obviously there's the 1918 uh, famous famous infamous game uh, that happened before the shot clock. And uh, yeah, this. Um, 
this happened on your birthday, Yeah, Rich. I remember it well. I was uh, sitting with my friends eating cake and watching the Pacers and the Trailblazers, of course. This is a giant blowout. But, no, definitely a great birthday gift here. But, uh, yeah, so the Blazers' leading scorer in this game was Rasheed Wallace. He had 14, and then they had only three players in double figures <laughs> other than that, which is not right. ideal. Uh, Indiana had eight yeah. players in double figures and two more with eight points. That's kind of interesting. We talked about a little earlier of Indiana's, like, super balanced team. And this is a great example of right. eight players in double figures, and then nobody really scores more than 18. Mark Jackson has 18, and that's your leading. But everybody, like, almost everybody gets in the game and gets, you know, almost a double figures. So uh, definitely a, a, an interesting one here. And, yeah, the 65-point margin, you said, like, second largest in the history. Um, and, yeah, just an incredible <laughs> display of, of, of blowout. I, I don't know, yeah. It's, and it's uncharacteristic, yeah. too, because the Blazers were a pretty good team this year. But just, you know, yeah, right. a bad night. Yeah, and, and this was... <laughs> This was after the Damon Stoudemire Kenny Anderson trade, which we'll get into in a little bit. But um, yeah, and the Blazers were perfectly balanced team. It's funny because actually uh, Rashid's total, I believe, was the second most of anybody in the game, or, or tied for the second most of anybody mm-hmm. in the uh, game. So I guess somebody had to lead the Blazers in scoring. So um, yeah, it's funny that Indiana's came with you know, such balance. Interesting, and obviously it was a, a blowout pretty much from the start. So there wasn't going to be a uh, whole lot of opportunity for you know any one guy to dominate. They, I'm sure they they balanced the uh gave guys rest and all that good stuff but yeah that's uh interesting stuff so yeah, the Blazers, um, if you look too oh sorry real quick though please i'm looking at the box yeah. over here real quick they were eight and 19 from the free throw line that's definitely not great you definitely no. want to be better than that no. but and then three yeah. is 17 from three so uh again not not great so it wasn't just you know they weren't hitting some of their shots they were missing everything yeah uh, yeah and, and and the blazers you know they they had perfectly you know they had a bonus in that game they had good players you know it wasn't like they were a terrible team or anything they were a pretty solid team that year but uh yeah for whatever reason not a good night for them so uh, we're going to dig in a little bit into some of the major events of the uh, month. I, I think the, the biggest one is uh, Latrell Sprewell's uh, arbitration hearing and the decision being made there. Uh, the hearing actually started in late January, but it ramped up a lot in um, in February. We talked about it a little bit, but we'll get into it just a little bit more here. Uh, we'll just talk about some of the highlights because there's a lot to this, and not all of it's really super interesting. But um, so uh, Arn Tellum testified, uh, Sprewell's agent, and talked about an incident in the fall of 1990 when uh, Alan Bristow, who we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later, he was the – then he was the Hornets VP of basketball operations, reportedly choked Tellum during negotiations for Kendall Gill. And uh, Craig Sager did some reporting here saying that after Bristow apologized and agreed to pay any medical expenses for Tellum's sore neck, the only action taken by the league against Bristow was a verbal reprimand. So – setting some precedent there for uh what might happen in a physical confrontation like that obviously not involving a player but still you know um i can see the parallels there yeah definitely yeah <laughs> it's uh yeah for sure yeah so uh so among the testimony was involved was uh was warriors gm gary st john uh who, who was there for nearly four hours in the second week uh pj carlissimo of course testified and also there was some uh the players association was upset that uh carlissimo was uh was present during testimony from his players last week saying feeling that it reeked of witness intimidation um and david stern also talking about how uh he felt the need to uh step in on these issues because he felt like the teams were less willing to step up uh the pressure on on winning is making our teams more reluctant to offend their players um and he says overall the responses have not been stellar um Carlissimo testified for uh, seven hours uh, talking about um, there was some question about whether the second attack actually took place and what like it really involved um, whether Sprewell no one questions whether that Sprewell actually tried to go after Carlissimo the, the question was whether he actually you know hit him and and uh, and what happened there but he said that yes there was the uh, second attack and um, 
uh, you know, and, and saying that Sprewell did hit him and said that he, I'll kill you and that, um, uh, well, Sprewell had said that, you know, he was held back by teammates before contact was made. Uh, Stern himself testified for nearly five hours um, in there and then afterward uh, talked about he, he felt as though the stand taken by the leagues and the Warriors had a good chance of being upheld. He said he's very uncomfortable with our actions. I feel comfortable that I've acquitted myself the way that I'm supposed to. And, um, and that leads to about a month later where the decision is made and the arbitrator, John Fierick, uh, he uh, reduced Sprewell's ban by five months and reinstated his contract with the Warriors, more importantly, uh, which had been canceled by the team. So mm-hmm. uh, still one of the more severe penalties in uh, NBA history. In fact, um, the most for uh, non-drug-related penalties, but um, he was able to... He was going to be allowed to rejoin the team by July 1st and have the final two years of his contract. He still would lose $6.4 million, not not a significant punishment, but he uh, he, he got a lot out of that. And the NBA was definitely uh, surprised by uh, that reaction. No, it definitely appeared to be a lot worse than it was going to be, you know, initially, and to see what was going to happen, and and of the, you know, big bravado of of what was going to, you know, be, you know, brought down, and it was, yeah, it was far less than than I think anybody expected, and 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 you know, judging the fairness, like again, we're we're still having trouble even to this day trying to figure out what what exactly happened and what was fair and what wasn't fair or whatever, but yeah, given um a lot of the bravado when it first started, I, I was pretty stunned too to see it, it, it be as low as it was, uh, given yeah, just how how big the NBA did and, and how, but you know, hey, these things sort of happen and. Um, yeah, again, the fairness of it. Who knows? Well, we'll it's right. <laughs> we still won't yeah, know because we don't know all the details about it, and it's, we weren't really privy to you know what happened in the second thing, or right. if the second thing even right. happened, or whatever. So yeah, or yeah, you know, we, 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 yeah, the specifics exactly of there, and, and you know, obviously, we talked about before where um, because of the public, just of how visible this became for the NBA, that obviously changed what you know the reaction might have been based on if it had been something that was you know less high profile. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. David Stern publicly not happy about the um, reaction said called it a very charitable decision from the arbitrator uh, said it missed the opportunity to send a message with re- with respect to the broader standard of all the good things that sports leagues can stand for on that basis we're more than a little disappointed um, and uh, so yeah uh, David Stern definitely uh, uh, not happy with how things went there um, afterward the Charles Bureau did some interviews including one with 60 minutes where um, he said, I wasn't choking PJ. PJ, he could breathe. It's not like he was losing air or anything like that. I mean, it wasn't a choke. I wasn't trying Jesus. to kill PJ. Um, I was just gently then, placing my hands around his neck. I wasn't trying yes. to choke him. Uh, he also said, yeah, yeah, he, 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 and then he kind of followed along with his, you know, second time story where it said, um, players tried to keep him from getting closer. He said, I, I think when that happened, I just started swinging my arms just to get free from those guys. This is where they say PJ was punched or something. I know that I didn't intentionally go out there to hit PJ <laughs> and then asked if he needed counseling. He said, no, I don't feel I need counseling. Um, and then he was asked if he got away with attack, attacking him. And I said, well, I attacked him, but I don't know about getting away with it. It costs 65, 6.5 million in 68 games. So, which uh, I will, uh, I'll go along with that. Yeah. That's not yeah. quite getting away with it, but certainly, um, uh, you know, a uh, so, so that kind of closes the chapter on that for the most part. I, we'll get into that when uh, uh, to the um, after the season ends, there'll be some things there, but that's basically the uh, that's the end of that, mm-hmm. yeah. So, well, <laughs> saga is over, so uh, <laughs> yes, so uh, and uh, 
Uh, at the beginning of the month, uh, Doug Collins is fired, and Alvin Gentry becomes the uh, Pistons uh, coach. Uh, we kind of saw this coming based on uh, some of the things that Doug had said over the uh, season and not really seeming very happy with Detroit and the team not uh, seeing uh, very uh, happy with him. And the, the, the It's more of the quotes that came from this that are funny, you know, the, uh, about it. Uh, Brian Williams, uh, said the, the future Bison Daily, you know, said a couple of things about uh, how, um, you know, that uh, – uh, I've become increasingly aware that Doug won games and the players lost them. If you won a game, you were the greatest. If you lost, you were worthless. And um, and Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan even uh, said they weren't surprised by Collins' firing. Uh, and Jordan said, The rhythm between the coach and the players wasn't peaceful. That put a lot of strain on the team. It was probably the best thing for both parties. And Pippen said, He had he has been in some difficult situations. He hasn't been able to develop the relationships that can keep him in an organization. So it sounds like neither guy particularly um, cared much for being coached by Doug Collins. No, yeah, and that was the thing that you can contend. And we, we talked about it a few episodes ago. Like, Doug was, uh, there was, I forgot what the quote that he said, but it was essentially like, you know, uh, you know, this, 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 this. But like, don't blame me. It's not my fault we lose or something like that. He was, you know, just, right. it, it's yeah. kind of, yeah, it's kind of of the Doug Collins thing, you know, that, that he would always uh, do that. But yeah, I'm not surprised that Doug Collins was left. And, and, and Doug's a guy that kind of grinds on people um, time and time again. So gets, you know, the most out of players for a few. It's, it's similar to like a Scott Skiles type or there's a few other guys that like it works for like two years and everyone's just kind of like, all right, we're, we're kind of done with you. Can you go away now? You're kind of annoying. So yeah, it was not a surprise that Doug was, uh, was jettisoned at this point. So uh, there were also some rumors that um, the Pistons were going to bring back some of the old bad boys people into management roles or coaching roles. Uh, there was talk about Rick Mahorn, uh, Bill Lambeer, and even Joe Dumars is after he retired, you know, becoming a mm-hmm. g- gaining a management position. Uh, even Dumars was talked about as general manager. Um, and then uh, the no way. Pistons president <laughs> that said, would never work. I know. <laughs> yeah, no, of course not. You know, <laughs> the Pistons president said, no matter who becomes the new, the new coach, uh, uh, Grant Hill will um will will take a heavy take an active role in that hiring. Uh I don't know if it's ever I've ever seen the this actually outright said um in in the and Wilson said in the last 10 years in this league I don't think there has been a head coach who has been hired where the superstar wasn't consulted. Whoever it might be um if Hill doesn't want to play for him it's not going to happen. So I don't think I've ever seen it uh put that bluntly before by, you know, an executive on a team. Yeah, right. Like it, it's always sort of alluded to or rumored about or kind of said, but yeah, no, players don't really want to own that either. Like that's also something that you don't necessarily want to, and it kind of puts that player out on a different like island compared to the rest of the right. team. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, hey, you know, like, like there's obviously the implication, like LeBron obviously was not a big fan of David Blatt and David Blatt was sent away or whatever, but yeah, it wasn't right. like whatever, yeah. LeBron said that David Blatt had to go. You know, that's not, wasn't the quote. And the owner, you know, Dan Gilbert wasn't like, yeah, we fired David Blatt because LeBron hated him. Like that's not, yeah, you don't really do that. <laughs> it's kind of a weird, weird no. quote there, but. Uh, hey, yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. put all your uh, your balls in the Grand Hill court. That's going to definitely work out pretty well, I think. So sure. Um, yeah. So uh, of course, February All Star Weekend. Um, uh, Jeff Hornacek won the uh, three point contest. Uh, Zagrunas Ogaskis was the MVP in the uh, rookie game with 18 points. Tim Duncan did not play in it because he played in the All Star game itself. Um, Clyde Drexler and Cynthia Cooper won the uh, the two ball competition. Of course, there was no uh, slam dunk this uh, contest this year. The two ball competition replaced it, and yeah, did not get great uh, reaction from uh, sports writers for, for the uh, fans in uh, in general. People, uh, you know, a little bit upset about the uh, dunk contest going. We kind of talked about uh, all that before. Um, 
the game itself, the uh, there were no All Star uniforms this year. Players wore their own jerseys. Rich, how do you feel about uh, that? I don't like it. I like I like some uniforms, but I guess the the way that they've had the uniforms lately, I guess it wouldn't like the last year and this year's were pretty bad. But no, I, I like the idea of everybody wearing the same kind of themed uniform or whatever. So I don't know. I mean, I don't hate it. I just I don't know. I think it kind of looks a little silly. So I, I prefer everybody wearing you know a one uniform jersey. Yeah, I agreed with that. Um, and uh, Michael Jordan, uh, he had uh, 23 points, 6 rebounds, and 8 assists, uh, was the MVP of the uh, game, uh, and was the oldest All-Star Game MVP, winning uh, 9 days before his 35th birthday. Uh, the East won the game 135-114, and uh, 4 Lakers were played in the game, uh, Nick Van Exel, um Eddie Jones, Shaquille O'Neal, and Kobe Bryant, which is the first time since 83 that four players from the uh, same team were selected to play in the same All-Star game. The uh, uh, the Sixers of that year were uh, were selected, so so that uh, was notable. Um, anything else uh, to talk about with uh, All-Star Weekend? Uh, nothing else. Yeah, I mean, obviously you had the two ball, the debut of two ball, and that didn't uh, did not go well. I think the AP's Tom right. said two ball too dull. <laughs> so oh right. yeah, yeah, very two, clever. Yes. Two ball was was yeah did, did not replace the dunk contest, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it was a, a decent concept. But yeah, it just didn't uh, didn't quite work. Didn't quite grab the imagination of people. But then again, the, the dunk contest hadn't really grabbed the imagination for a few years either. So um, yeah, NBA is still trying to figure out what to do with this uh, this NBA Saturday uh, as it kind of floats in space right now, trying to figure out what, what what's best for the weekend. So right, exactly. So, um, trade deadline and, uh, notable this year uh, happening after the all-star game. Um, some, a few rumors ahead of the deadline, I'm sure there were plenty of others, but some ones that stood out to me is there were apparently talk of the 76ers trading Allen Iverson to the Magic for uh, Penny Hardaway, which, uh, of course, would have been uh, very shocking. Um, both parties denied this. In fact, uh, Alex Martins, who's spokesman for the Magic, saying, it's not happening. I know that for a fact. I think it's safe to say we don't want Allen Iverson. So, um, of course, <laughs> uh, yeah, of course, maybe, uh, Iverson. Maybe don't say that. Like, maybe, yeah. you know, he could be a free agent at some point. Like, might want to yeah, you know geez maybe. all right i mean okay <laughs> yeah and billy king said that the sixers made some inquiries about whether hardaway might be moving to a new team before the trade deadline but that was the extent of their interest um also talk about mitch richmond trade scenarios including uh going to the heat in a trade involving isaac austin um he was very public about having uh, talked about wanting a trade and you know he said hey do the kings want to keep me here with the young guys you know i need to sit down with jeff petrie and figure out what you know what's going to go on if i'm not traded that kind of thing um and uh john calipari said that there was rumors about a trade that would have sent kendall gill and sam cassell to the raptors for damon stoudemire and walt williams but he but calipari said up the trade is dead um and part of the reason why it didn't happen is because uh, Kendall Gills said that I'm not going to a losing team point blank and did not not want to go to um, Toronto a lot of guys didn't want to go to Toronto which we'll um we'll talk about in a minute uh finally the actual trades um the uh the Raptors uh part of a large trade uh sent Carlos Rogers Damon Stoudemire and Walt Williams to the Trailblazers for Kenny Anderson Gary Trent Alvin Williams and uh, two first round picks and a, and a uh, second round pick. That's a uh, that's a big blockbuster. That's a uh, part of a very big uh, Raptors overhaul that we'll get into mm-hmm. in a minute. And um, a very interesting uh, trade: Orlando sending Ronnie Cycli to Utah for Chris Morris, Greg Foster, and a 1998 uh, first round pick. Of course, we all know Ronnie Cycli went to the Jazz. You know, helped them on their uh, road to the championship. That of course worked <laughs> out uh, perfectly well for that team. Yeah, and then uh, retired and became a uh, world-renowned DJ. Some of those things are true. Yeah, <laughs> one of, yeah Two of those, yeah. of those two facts, one a of them DJ is true. DJ based in Utah. Yeah, yeah. that's weird. <laughs> Salt Lake City DJs. You wouldn't have thought that would be huge, but, you know. Um, 
Is it true that Ronnie Cycli is one of the quad No, he's DJs? actually like a DJ. No, he's like legitimately a DJ. Well, I, I know he's a DJ. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, is, no, is, I have is, no idea. Is he one of the Quad City DJs is the question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Quad or, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, wait, it, it's, yeah, it's the Quad City DJs, not the Quad Cities DJs. Right. Because they're yeah, not no, from no. the Quad Cities. Exactly. They're a we, quad we saw them on, on All-Star Weekend this past weekend. I was uh, I was amazed they came out, and I was like, hey. Yeah. But they weren't. There was right only two the of them. Once so again. The Quad yeah. City DJs doesn't quite work when there's only two of them. But, hey, you know what? Yeah. I can tell them how to do their job. So Maybe they should add Ronnie Cycli to the, you know. It's just a thought, you know, <laughs> NBA connection makes sense, you know. Uh, so, uh, uh, and then uh, Jim Jackson and Clarence Witherspoon go from the 76ers to the Golden State Warriors for Brian Shaw and Joe Smith. Jim Jackson, of course, is, this is the second year in a row he's been traded, and that's going to continue for quite a while. There's going to be a <laughs> lot of Jim Jackson trades in the yeah, future. Yeah, get used to that. Strap in for the uh, the annual Jim Jackson's traded <laughs> discussion because yes. it's going to happen a Good. long time. It'll be fun. Uh, and then uh, – and then, the Ronnie Cycli trade, unfortunately, avoided uh, just a couple of days later. Uh, there was uh, some dispute about why this happened. Uh, there was a stress fracture in his right foot, so he was going to not be able to play for about a month. Um, the Jazz said that, uh, well, actually, he wanted us to guarantee the, a couple years of his contract that were, were non-guaranteed. And, um, yes, Carl Malone called Cycli a con man, and Utah uh, owner Larry Miller said that they were trying to get contractual concessions. Cycli said, hey, there's a dispute about my injury, nothing else. Uh, the guys who were traded for Cycli, Greg Foster and Chris Morris, were um, they had split opinions about their return to Utah. Uh, Greg Foster was happy. There's no other place I'd rather be right here. And Chris Morris was the least used jazz player who was, uh, of course, helpful in that Bulls game, but otherwise said, I'm angry that I'm here. I was looking forward to going out there and playing. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> that's a sad thing. Given the injuries, I'm not sure how well Cycli would have done because you know he he would end up playing um for he would end up getting traded to the Nets and uh and, and not play particularly well and and would be hurt. But uh, if he had been healthy, that's sort of an interesting what if on uh, whether he could have really helped the Jazz all that much or not. Yeah, it's interesting. And those guys that that obviously stayed there, um, they played you know okay roles as well as as it went on. Like especially Greg Foster, I know he played you know decent bench roles, and, and Chris Morris did a few things here and there. So I don't know. Yeah, I guess it, it I don't think it hurt them all that much. Like, but it would be interesting to see um, just what cycle could have done but yeah knowing you know sort of how cycle would play the rest of the year it's hard you know it's hard to believe that that would have helped them a ton but yeah i don't know it's, it's one of those interesting what if scenarios but uh i think it, it was probably all right that it got voided it wasn't like it completely just destroyed their season of course but yeah it, it is an interesting what if what would have happened there but uh yeah Chris sure. morris really not enjoying his stay in utah but no not happy no yeah um so the uh, Kenny Anderson, once he was traded to the Raptors, was like, ah, I don't want to play in Toronto. So they ended up uh, trading him to uh, Boston uh, for, uh, along with Popeye Jones and Zan Tabak to um, for Chauncey Billups, uh, rookie uh, um, D Brown. So I guess he's leaving. Uh, maybe he's leaving Boston because uh, Larry Bird made fun of him. Roy Rogers and uh, John Thomas. So they are uh, going to Toronto. Um, a few other notable trades. Uh, the Suns traded Cedric Sabalas for the second time, going to the Dallas Mavericks for Dennis Scott. Uh, the Kings traded Bobby Hurley and Michael Smith to the Grizzlies for Chris Robinson and Otis Thorpe. Uh, also, the Grizzlies traded Anthony Peeler to the Timberwolves for Doug West. We mm-hmm. talked about that a little bit earlier. Uh, the Heat uh, did make a trade, not for Mitch Richmond, but they traded um, Isaac Austin, Charles Smith, and a first-round pick to uh, for the Clippers for Brent Berry. Uh, the Nets... Um, and the cycle trade that did happen, uh, the uh, the Nets sent uh, three players and a uh, first round pick to the Magic for Brian Evans and Cycli. Uh and then the Bulls uh, traded uh, Jason Caffey to the Warriors for uh, David Bond and uh, two uh, second round picks. Um, 
and, and we talked about this a little bit earlier because Jason Caffey was like kind of, kind of one of the holdovers after the uh, Bulls dynasty, but he did leave and then and then came back and was there you know, until the early 2000s. And I thought that uh, the uh, the Jerry Krause uh, quote, um, or, or actually I guess uh, Dennis Rodman's response to uh, Jerry Krause after he explained that one of the reasons why he traded Caffey was that he allowed uh, that Caffey being there allowed Dennis Rodman to flip out occasionally, knowing that he had a quality backup who could fill. <laughs> his position to a Rodman served a suspension. So apparently getting rid of that was part of the uh, motivation there. And, and Rodman's quote for Jerry Krause was, uh, was very funny. It's incredible. Yeah. So it's uh, his Rodman being quoted after the, uh, the bulls beat the wizards 97 or uh, 94 to 88. He says, I think Jerry Krause would keep his mouth shut. He is always telling me to keep my mouth closed. When I say something stupid, he should keep his mouth closed. I'm going to come be, I'm going to continue to be the same old Dennis. That's, that is a bad strategy. They should keep the team together no matter what. So Dennis says, fuck off. I'm not changing. So I'm going to keep being yes. me. I don't care who's backing me up. I'm going to get thrown out of the yes. game sometimes. So, yeah, that's uh, – oh, Dennis, yeah, this Bulls thing is uh, – this isn't long for the world. <laughs> this whole, no, really? probably not. No. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, final trade, uh, very minor, but uh, the 76 trading Terry Cummings to the Knicks for Ron Grandinson and Herb Williams. That's a lot of um, old men getting yeah, traded. <laughs> Terry right, Cummings and Herb definitely. Williams. Yeah. Um, and there were there were a few quotes about uh, from uh, officials that were uh, upset about the fact that you know players had um, you know didn't dictate where they were traded to, basically refusing to report. Uh, Larry Miller, the Jazz owner, said to, to start having players say, "I don't want this team or that team or this city or that city." I think is very serious. If it becomes norm in the league, it could create chaos. We we sure can't just let them run amok, which is uh, <laughs> that's a yeah. So uh, yeah, Funny believe it or not, a term, yes. uh, an actual quote from 1998, and not you know 1887. Yeah. Or like, right, we can't have to run a mock, you know, we or can, yeah, 1778. But yeah, the uh, not, uh, the implications there are not not ideal, not great. So. No, 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 we can't uh, can't have them yeah. revolting these people of you know. Yeah, so yeah, that's uh, not great in 1998. Yes, but. so. Um, so the Raptors are. We talked about their struggles already, and they had the earlier stuff in the in the season with Isaiah Thomas leaving. Uh, so they do a lot of house cleaning. Uh, they uh, first of all, the most important thing is they change ownership. The uh, Maple Leafs Limited buys the Raptors Union Station and the soon to be built Air Canada Center for three hundred fifty million dollars. It kind of allows that to kind of go forward and, and secures the future of the Raptors, who were kind of struggling financially. Uh, Daryl Walker resigns as the head coach. They and then Butch Carter is his uh, replacement. I got them mixed up uh, during the uh, last show. Uh, and then uh, Damon Stoudemire, after the trade, he blamed the former owner Alan Slate for the club's disintegration. Says that um, he suspect that he kept the entire team in the dark about its ownership intentions. Um, and his quote was, "He flat out lied, saying he would do what he was going to do, whatever it took to make the team a winner." Um, and Chauncey Billups, as when he beca- when he came to the Raptors, actually uh, did play okay. Um, you know, he he did have he had a number of assists, but he definitely uh, he actually played twenty. He had a season high twenty seven points in one of his first game with the uh, Raptors. And Carter said um, Chauncey's going to drive me crazy, but he's also going to get a lot of love from me. Um, there are some things Chauncey still has to learn. We've already made some progress with him. Um, and it, it, of course, it's interesting that uh, you Billups and McGrady, both very young in their career, were actually were uh, teammates, and um, and they could have put Billups, uh, McGrady, and Carter together on a team when Carter comes on the team uh, next year. So, But they would lose um, 
uh, Billups. Uh, we'll we'll get into mm-hmm. that when that uh, happens. But that's uh, interesting stuff. Yeah, you're starting to see the build of you know what we'd see in the future of of, of the Raptors team kind of coming together a little bit, and, and you're starting to see that where you know you had your previous Raptors era, which was really confusing and nobody really knew, and there was always you know different you know you had your Marcus Camby era briefly, and then you had the Stoudemire briefly, and it seems like there's some stability kind of coming there a little bit. So that's cool to see that they're kind of in in some ways getting things together and, and sort of building for a longer, more sustained run. And of course, that would come you know down the line a little bit. But yeah, it's nice to see that some stability to that franchise because both of the Canadian franchises were really just like in a complete disaster at this point and really a total mess. So it's good to see that. Yeah. At least one of them is, is seems like they're kind of getting on the right path, even though it would take you know, a few years until that would totally come to fruition. Right. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. A, a core, I mean, they ended up trading for some veterans and had some pretty good seasons in, you know, the early two thousands, but you know, if they had stuck with, you know, Billups can be, um, McGrady and uh, Carter, like what that would have looked like. Right, I mean, right. that, you know, that, that could have been like a really super team. And maybe that just wasn't going to work out because of the relationships there and all that. But that's, that really would have been something to, you know, the the potential of that is really mm-hmm. interesting. But getting rid of Isaiah is always a good option. So <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah. It, that was, that it, was more good. than that, that more times than not puts you on the right path. Uh, so that's, yeah. that was a good move. Uh, fair point. Toronto. Yeah. I mean, what they had obviously with Carter was special. So, you know, it's, uh, but yeah, the, the other way is interesting too. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and the uh, we, we already talked about how the Nuggets were pretty blatantly tanking and hoarding for agent space. Uh, what are you talking about? Tanking team... just started this year, right? <laughs> it started with the 76ers. <laughs> what are you talking about tanking? What do you mean? Yes. Why are you even using that word? There's no such thing until yes. the Sixers a few years ago. And then this year, there's a lot of teams doing it. But yeah, no, that's when it started, right. Jason. You're yeah. wrong. And we did that. Yeah, we did I'm a sorry, previous well, show about the history of tanking, and it goes back until you know the earliest days of the leagues. But no, you're lying. There's no way that they were tanking. Oh, what you, they were trying to yeah, win. I, Jason, I, come I'm, on. I'm sorry. I uh, forgive me. <laughs> they just for, so happen to be four and forty two. Like it just kind of happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the team played so poorly that they felt some pressure to actually not uh, super tank. So their GM Alan Bristow was fired. He was the same one who got into the fight as a, a Hornets uh, GM, and we talked about him a little bit already. But um, yeah, and. Um, you know he was uh, he was fired and uh, he had been hired just a year before to replace uh, Bernie Bickerstaff um, and uh, basically he designed a rebuilding pro you know, he he they went in intentionally rebuilding well we won't call it tanking but um, and he uh, <laughs> dismissed Dick Mata as coach and replaced him with uh, Bill Hanslick who was a longtime friend had been a Nuggets player as well uh, got rid of some long term contracts in a series of trade to clear some salary cap room but the current roster has was very short of talent um had the issue where he was unable to renegotiate an extension for antonio mcdice so he traded him to the suns for three future first round picks and two future second round picks which you know kind of makes sense honestly if they you couldn't do that that's a you know pretty yeah. good they didn't really work out for them but that was a kind of a good return at the time uh Mike D'Antoni uh, replaced him as uh, was the interim interim GM, so getting some uh, personnel uh, power there. He was he had been the team's player, director of player personnel. So, um, and uh, they were looking at the uh, the Nuggets were looking at uh, Lakers GM Mitch Kupchak and also uh, former Nuggets coach Dan Issel uh, as uh, possible replacements. So, um, and there's a post from a Denver Stips a few years ago looking at. Uh, Bristow and, and honestly put a lot of the blame on what happened on Bickerstaff that the, the the mess was so bad there that really Bristow didn't really have like he, there was there was no chance of being able to turn it around that quickly and that really the um you know looking at also the, there was a lot of uncertainty with the Nuggets nugget ownership situation so that really wasn't going to work out um there but um 
I thought it was notable that I, I think this was before Burstow was fired or maybe slightly after, but a lot of the notable 98 free agents, including Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Tom Gugliotta, and Tony McDice, all scoffed at the notion with signing with the uh, Nuggets. Uh, in fact, Rodman said that playing the Nuggets is like playing a high school team. Um, and he said, I'd never come here. And uh, but then uh, hands like the coach said that, well, you know, we're going to have 16 some million under the salary cap. So, you know, dollar signs are probably the biggest factor in getting guys. So it's like, well, you know, no one wants to play here, but we'll have so much money that someone will have to mm-hmm. play here. Basically what he's saying, which, again, usually they don't quite come out and say that. We know that's true, but that no one actually comes out and actually says that. Yeah, that's uh, it's a little presumptuous. <laughs> no, it didn't, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely. Yeah. But yeah, the things are getting real bad in Denver, man. And it, it, it kind of stinks because that was a franchise that had a lot of fun history, a lot of fun. And, and it would be I mean, of course, this was set the stage for a long time until the team even got anywhere near you know competitive again and and yeah it'd be obviously a ton of moves that would go on in the next few years but yeah this year real but i guess like when you look at it overall like they had sort of been treading along and kind of treading water for a few years so this i dare i say tank or whatever got them i guess on the right path but it was really brutal as it was doing it like it was real bad and this this year particularly stands out and and yeah like you said unfortunately you can't really sell that to free agents like hey want to come here and it's like not really no because you guys are really really bad like I, i can get money from a team that's not horribly terrible so yes well well, it's gonna be really interesting to see what happens when they actually do uh when they actually do try to pursue a free agent and and how things Mm -hmm. go go there but but yes it's uh some some fun things there yes so the nuggets by march 10th which is roughly the end of our period of discussion here were five and 58 they were on a 16 game losing streak and that ties them with the worst start ever with the 73 sixers the the team that went nine and 73 so it will get slightly better from there but we'll get into that uh next time absolutely yeah So a few other interesting notes. Uh, Dennis Rodman, ABC movie, Bad As I Want to Be, the Dennis <laughs> Rodman that. story, aired. Uh, it, for some reason, it aired uh, uh, going up against the second half of the All-Star Yeah, game, I don't know which... who decided that was a good idea. Like, what's our target demographic? Yeah. NBA fans. All right, cool. Let's throw this up at the same time. I don't know. I guess ABC wanted to show and see if they could compete with the All-Star game. I don't know. Yeah, that's really... Well, yeah, I, I guess maybe, like, if you, if the All-Star game is a blowout and you know people who are NBA fans are watching TV anyway, they know it's on, they might flip to it at certain I guess it's an interesting or, strategy. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's Yeah, it's I, strange, I, I guess I kind of get that, but yeah, it's a little, little bit odd. Um and uh, yes, it, it was not reviewed well, uh, surprisingly uh, uh enough. So, uh David Stern and some NBA players were on Meet the Press. A lot of this had to do with like the labor situation coming up, of course, the Spreewell stuff and um Stern was repeatedly asked about the league's policy toward uh including marijuana among the banned substances list in the next CBA, which was you know, a big issue of contention, of course, you know, scary black dude smoking marijuana, you know, of course, the the the, the whole thing there. Um and uh basically um uh, Kobe Bryant, marijuana is illegal. Therefore, by means of the law, it should be illegal in the NBA as well. Um, and uh, which is interesting thing for Kobe to say. Um, a lot, a lot of contention there. And uh, like, and Stern actually, to a degree, kind of defended the players. Like, um, you know, like, you know, like there were some. Something was written where Carl Malone said that up to seventy percent of players in the league use marijuana, and then Stern kind of went back on that. It's like, no, actually, he didn't say that. And um, you know, it, it, this is more about like, this is more about like reputation than it is about like what actually is going on type of type of stuff. Right. So, yeah. And he, it, it's a really that, that contentious argument too, because like it's it's Bob Cost is kind of prodding at uh, David Stern, and David right. Stern's not really a man who enjoys uh, when people do that to him. So it no, was uh, did it not go not. did not go well. And Costas is a guy who can sort of sense when things are going that way and really kind of drive it into. So yeah, it didn't uh, did not work right. out very well for any party involved. No. 
uh, Anthony Mason was arrested for uh, with, with the Hornets was arrested for uh, informally charged with statutory rape, sexual abuse, and endangering minors. Um, this I, I think was involved him and uh, and some underage uh, girls that were uh, in in his car and sort of thing. Uh, also, the owner of the uh, Hornets, uh, George Sin, was uh, there was a lawsuit. Um, Renewing accusations that he was, she was attacked and sexually abused by Shin last fall. Uh, at, t- at the time, prosecutors said there was not enough evidence to bring charges against him. Um, he would la- sue her for um, a, a f- called it a five million dollar extortion plot. This would all come to a head uh, in the next year, but this was sort of a, this was a step in and what would become a big scandal for um, for him. Uh, and then uh, Mike Mathis, who had been a referee since the. Um, since uh, said eleven NBA Finals and two All Star games, he uh, pleaded guilty to a felony tax charge and resigned from the leagues. This was kind of the end of a big scandal involving NBA referees who understated their income by trading first class airline tickets for cheaper coach tickets and pocketing the difference. Which seems like I, <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't seem like that big a deal, but I guess if you're the IRS, it is. So. Yeah, I guess um, yeah. I would probably do that. Yes. <laughs> Other than the IRS implications, I'm going with coach. Like that's yeah. fine. I'll, I'll take the extra. Money. Um, yeah. The um, with the people. I don't mind the, with the people. So. The NBA, the Hard Rock Cafe, uh, had a restaurant uh, venture that saw the NBA license its name and logos. Twenty nine teams for Hard Rock. Um, the uh, TV ratings were up on NBC, although they were down on TNT at the time. Um, so. Um, notable there we'll see how things go in 99 without michael jordan and uh, speaking of jordan he is the i'm sure great yeah. i'm guessing great is my yes. prediction right now so. and uh he earned 33 million dollars that season pushing the the bulls payroll to a league high of 61 million which was more than twice the salary cap at the time was 26 million actually yeah, 20, yeah those cheap bulls again yeah. man i tell you they're one of the cheapest franchises in the world they just wouldn't pay yes. their players so yes. those cheap cheap well bulls, if you're scotty man. pippen they wouldn't pay you but you know yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> all the money was going right. to jail. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So, um, so yes. So, so interesting things there. Uh, Bill Fitch passed uh, Red Arbach to become the second winningest coach in NBA history behind Lenny Wilkins. Uh, he was coaching the Clippers, who did not have a lot of wins. So every uh, win, uh, uh, you know, the, the the wins did not come quickly that year, but he did eventually. Um, passed by and uh interestingly enough uh gary payton led a boycott of nbc after studio analyst peter vesey made detrimental comments about payton's practice habits and inferred that uh, he was a bad team bad influence on teammate vin baker so this was according to glenn nelson of the seattle times um uh, interesting things uh, there yeah, and 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 Vessi's had a long history of of, of that, yeah, and, right. and people not really enjoying him all that much, particularly players. He's definitely been very critical of uh, of players in the history. I know there's a long, long list of guys uh, that are not big fans of uh, Peter Vessi, but yeah, not not surprising that he would pop up again here for uh, something right. like that. Yeah, so. and he had been a source of the rumors that popped up the year before with uh, Sean Kemp in terms of um, you know the idea that he had you know had an alcohol issue or that you know mm-hmm. kind of led to some of the rumors that ended up leading to a divide uh there not necessarily, i'm not saying they necessarily caused them but you know they um but it felt as though like he um you know ca- caused issues there or at least um exacerbated some of the issues there um is he the uh, is he the joe barely joe barely cares yes. guy or is that someone uh, I, I believe i, I believe peter okay. bessie did say joe barry joe barely cares i believe that was his so okay yeah and I remember one time too. I think he did an interview with Carl Malone after they lost the. Oh yes, Carl Malone was like, yeah. like seconds away from just decking him because right. Bessie just keeps like prodding and prodding, and it's like yes. maybe not right now, man. Like yeah. maybe let's you know tomorrow. Can you ask these questions? Right. Like, yes. So, 
Um, yes. So Pat Riley uh, was NBA Coach of the Month. If, uh, became the fifth coach to win 900 games. Uh, the Heat actually went 14 and one during the month uh, to really uh, get very close to the number one seed. And um, but uh, Pat Riley also, uh, it, it, we we talked a little already a little bit about how there was some pushback on the idea of players being able to, um, you know, decide where they land. And uh, his quote was, uh, "If the players push this game to the point where none of the reward is ever." going to come back to the owner then they will all get out of this and we will all be on a white sandy beach someday and then he also said one day and i can't wait for the day an owner is going to sue a player and his agent for damages for killing trades or not wanting to go somewhere else one owner is going to win a lot of damages because that isn't right so pat riley definitely a cop (laughs) i think that's fairly clear right there oh pat what a jerk all right (laughs) so i we're at the uh, point of the uh of the monthly wrap-up and uh uh, some interesting things going on in terms of the uh, playoff picture yeah definitely some good stuff going on here so let's look at it so you got the sonics they have a four game lead for the number one seed in the west the uh lakers uh or the jazz lakers spurs and suns are all neck and neck for number two seeds you got a nice little battle there at the top of the west uh the blazers 33 wins the wolves 31 and the rockets 28 i'll round out the uh, western conference as we mentioned a few months prior the bottom half of the western conference is a disaster because like you have a bunch of teams in 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 play for the you know the first eight seeds and and where are they going to be and where are they going to kind of seed and whatnot and you have the nuggets at five and 53 (laughs) the not taking nuggets at five Fifty-three. Uh, the Mavericks, who are definitely trying to win at eleven and forty-six. Uh, the Clippers at twelve and forty-five. The Golden State Warriors at twelve and forty-five. The Vancouver Grizzlies at fourteen and, and forty-three. And the Sacramento Kings are your lone, like, kind of just team that's kind of in the middle there. Uh, they're at twenty-four and thirty-five. They're they're bad, but they're not like as horrible as the other ones, and they're not obviously a playoff team. So nothing too much there. And as far as the East, you got the Bulls. They have a two-game lead over the Pacers and the Heat for number one seed in the East. Um, the Hornets, with uh, 34 wins, are eight games back, and in a cluster with the Hawks, who have 34 wins, the Knicks at 33, and the Nets at 33. And the Cavs, uh, eight seed right now with 31 wins, but you also have the Magic, Wizards, Bucks, and Celtics. They're about two, three games behind. And yeah, as a juxtaposition, the Eastern Conference, you have one real bad team, the Toronto Raptors, at, at 13 and 43. Philadelphia 76ers aren't great at 19 and 37. And then for that point on, it's pretty much everybody else is kind of still in play. Like the Pistons are 26 and 31, as we mentioned, definitely still kind of in play. Boston Celtics at 28 and 30, still in play to make the playoffs. So you got a real big run up in the East and a lot of teams, you know, with potentials to, to, to make runs, whereas the West is pretty well locked in with the, the, the first eight. It's just a matter of where is everyone going to kind of land when it's all said and done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Kings are four and a half games behind the Rockets for the eighth seed. So they're, they're not officially out of it, but they're, you know, the, the, it's highly unlikely, of course, that they're going to be able to make it mm-hmm. there and then everyone else beyond them, you know, they're. The Grizzlies are ten games behind the uh, Kings, you know, so that's or nine <laughs> games, I guess. So, so that's yeah, obviously a, uh, a a huge difference. So we we talked a little bit about that disparity uh, already, and it's only going to get worse as the uh, rest of the uh, season goes along. We'll have to see if um, I, I, I'm sure maybe it has, but we'll have to see if there's uh, any sort of similar disparity that's ever happened in NBA history between the uh, haves and have-nots in a conference. Because I would guess that that yeah. is probably um, exceedingly rare, but. Yeah, and it's it's just interesting to see the East too because there's 13 teams like a legit chance to make the playoffs, right. which is nuts at this yeah. point. Like we're in February now. I mean, that's like right now. Go to the league and look, and look at the standings. Like there's not 13 teams that really. I mean, yeah. that's so to see that many be in the play in the East and like all have legit chances at making it is is pretty interesting. But yeah, then the West is is like here's eight, and then maybe nine with the Kings. You right. Know? Exactly. Yes. So. 
All right. Well, uh, thanks, everyone, for uh, checking us out. Of course, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Over and Back NBA and, and Facebook as well. And you can follow this uh, series, uh, NBA uh, 20 Years Ago, with uh, many of the events and top highlights and, and GIFs from uh, going on during the uh, during the 98 uh, season and uh, beyond as we continue the series. So I uh, hope everyone's enjoying it. So you can uh, find us, um, of course, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you listen to your uh, podcasts. And um, you can also find us at the step back at fansided.com. So uh, thanks for listening. And we'll be back again soon. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.